Just a heads up here, if you haven't listened to season five of the CBC podcast series, Someone Knows Something about the murder of Carrie Brown, this one might not be for you. We spend the whole episode talking about that. So, okay, so, so how do you want to angle this? So I think we should each do a round of just what do we remember from that time? Yeah. Then, then let's talk a little bit about the pot, like what you liked and didn't like about the podcast. Yep. Like we'll talk sort of about yeah. the style of the podcast and then we'll talk about some of the things that were actually some yep. of the episodes. Slow day, I'm hoping for a slow day. I want to sleep the day away. If we had a slow day, I'm hoping for a slow day. I want to sleep the good. We're good. All right, it's a snow day podcast. This is a snow day extra. We are in... I'd like to say Guy Hansen's dining room, but it's Faye Hansen's dining room. There's no doubt about it. It really is Faye Hansen's dining room, yeah. Guy Hansen, as much as myself, is just a guest here in Faye Hansen's dining room. <laughs> Everybody knows it. <laughs> well known. So th- thanks to Faye for letting us hang out. She's doing a crossword puzzle. Is that yeah, what's going I think on so. That's usually what's uh, going on over listening there. Listening in. Hopefully, if you've got anything to say, Faye, chip, chip in, throw it out there. We'll, uh, we'll share your thoughts, too. We did a staff meeting... I don't know what it was, six months ago now, seven months ago. And as part of that, we said, sometimes we're going to do some one-on-ones. The thing with George and I went pretty good out at Studio Paint Lake, according to George. As he likes to refer to it now. (laughs) Studio P went pretty good. And you and I got pretty wrapped up in the Carrie Brown podcast that David Ridgen did, Somebody Knows Something. And we got talking about it on the phone the other day and said, this would be something that we'd like to spend a little bit more time talking about. Uh, Then it turns out you're in Winnipeg, I'm in Winnipeg, everything kind of fell together. So I loaded up a a backpack full of gear and we're set up in Faye Hansen's uh, dining room. So it's a podcast extra. We're talking just about Carrie Brown uh, from a few different perspectives. We've got Guy Hansen's in the room too. So it's so awesome that we get, I think our first guest, and somebody who has another, sort of a third perspective on this. So, Les, you were away in Winnipeg when this happened. Yep. I was in Thompson. And, Guy, you were a, a dad and a teacher at the high school mm-hmm. at that time. So, we have, I think we have some different perspectives on just how that all went down. And that's where I think I'd like to start with the podcast is just what do you remember from that time? So, take yourself back to 1986. Yep. So, what do you remember from that time? Yeah, I think for me, that's a perfect place to start, Bruce, because when we first started listening to the podcast, and one of the first things I remember telling you is that I was riveted by the first couple episodes of the podcast because it starts telling the story of the Carrie Brown incident, obviously, which occurred in 1986, which is the year that I left Thompson. I left in in fall of 1985, came back summer of 1986. Listening to the descriptions of like Sean Simmons talking about driving around Thompson over the bridge, past Popeye's, McCready campground, all that stuff. In my mind, those memories are cemented like with a mental picture from 1986. And listening to the recounting of that story in 1986 was almost sort of like haunting for me. I think that's one of the things in the early episodes that really drew me in. And I I couldn't stop listening because it just, it brought me back to this like sort of like mental imagery of my youth. In terms of the incident itself, yeah, I had already left. I left, I had moved to Winnipeg in September of 1985. So I had mm-hmm. just recently left. I have two memories that that stick out in my mind. One was seeing Carrie Brown's picture on the news in Winnipeg. 
And I recognized the picture because I'm pretty sure it was like a yearbook picture. It might even be a Juniper School yearbook yeah, picture. Yeah, it like might have or... been a Juniper School yearbook picture that I recognized. Yeah. And just thinking, holy shit, like this is like, I mean, we were young, we were yeah. kids, like the big world of bad things happen to people in the world and people get on the news was still very much foreign for us. And seeing someone who I recognized on the news, CKY, CTV, whatever it was in Winnipeg, was like, wow, that's almost like a little bit astonishing for me. So that that was probably like the uh, the most poignant memory I have from that time. And then the other thing was, I remember my brother phoning me and telling me that this had happened. And it was 1986, like you didn't get long distance phone calls very often. My brother didn't phone me very often. But the fact that it was a big enough deal that he actually phoned me to tell me that this had happened and we talked about it uh, a little bit was is sort of impactful in, in my mind. And, and I had probably forgotten about that phone call and that whole thing until I started listening to the podcast and my mind wandered back to that time frame and, and um, it, it reminded me of that phone call with my brother, who of course now is not around anymore. So it's even more sort of poignant in my memory. Yeah. But that's, that's what sticks in my mind from, from that time period. Yeah. Wow. And, and do you think, uh, just before I go, one of the interesting things for me, I think, with this pod was sort of what you talked about, how it took you back in time. So the first couple episodes, I heard a bunch of voices of people that I haven't heard in a long time. So Sean Simmons and some of the names and even Trevor Brown. I mean, yep. you hear his voice and it's like, holy cow, because he was a Juniper yeah. Jaguar with us. Yeah. He wasn't, I mean, in our super tight group, but for sure he was yep. like, we have a, a class picture of him standing beside Alvarez. Yes. Right. And, and I remember and, saying that to you on the, the one phone call we had. I remember yeah. saying like, Holy shit, I can't believe how clearly I recognize Trevor Brown's voice. Yeah. I don't know if Trevor Brown ever listens to our podcast. <laughs> if he, he does, does Trevor, yeah. I recognize your voice so clearly. It's been 30 plus years since we've seen each other, but... Uh, I think that's what drew me in at the start was... Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm interested in the Kerry Brown story, but hearing some of those voices and the names, because it's so local to us, it was just... Yeah. It, was, it was crazy. And then as the story went on, then I kind of got hooked on the story a little more. I may have shied away from listening to it just because I was I'm embarrassed about how little it affected me in 1986. And I mean, yeah. Trevor was part of our friend group. Carrie was a year younger than us. I mean, this should have been world shaking news to me. Yeah. And for some reason, it wasn't really. And I don't remember. Yeah. I talked to my sister about it and she said, I don't remember talking about it at the kitchen table. Um, yeah, it just it kind of came and went and. Part of, I think, what stirred up in me in the podcast was some emotions around being embarrassed that it didn't affect me more sure, um, and that I didn't to plug into it more. And I think part of it was our friend group, right? We talked to Alvarez. We talked to yep. some other people. And I wasn't the only one that just sort of... No, Alvarez said the same thing when we talked about it. He said, he said to me, I don't remember it being like a big thing that we really talked about. It's not like all the kids were standing around their lockers at Artie Parker going holy shit, like, what's the latest on this? What's the latest on that? He said in his mind, it was very much a side, like a little bit outside the group situation, which, yeah, is kind of strange to think about now. But I think that some of that is probably, well, it's not generational, but it's it's the difference between society now and society 30 years ago. Now, when something happens, it happens to everybody in the world in real time. Yeah. An incident happened yesterday and literally goes around the globe in 24 hours. And we all know about it. And we all have access to every piece of detail. You get on the right Twitter feed and you're getting the evidence as quickly as the police are. Like all this crazy stuff. 
30 years ago, that wasn't the case. 30 years ago, something horrible happened and it would have been spoken about in hushed tones and, you know, suppressed a little. Our parents probably, and, you know, dad can chime in on this a little bit. Our parents probably shielded us from that type of thing a little bit in, in 1986, you know, the kitchen table. Don't talk about this scary shit. Like, Bad things happen in the world. We don't need the kids to know that, you know. <laughs> uh, whereas today, it's like the kids tell the parents about the bad things happening in the world because they're, you know, more digitally in touch, and that's kind of how life works. But yeah, and yeah. That, I think that's the tricky one for me in my mind is is reconciling that. In there's part of me now that thinks, and it was probably true then, but I think it's been brought out a lot more now with with YouTube and Truth and Reconciliation and all that kind of stuff. You hate yep. to say it, but the Browns were a little bit on the other side of the tracks from us, right? They were probably yep. a poorer family, uh, lived in Eastwood. And I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I feel awful yep. kind of about this, but that was a different part of society. And yep. so it, it didn't mean as much to us. And so that's quite possibly true. Yeah, I looking back, that, that stirred angle, up a bunch of emotions. But this is yeah. now this is a 2018 lens I'm looking through with with some of the, the Me Too and the systemic, yeah. you know, racism or you don't even call it racism, but just sort of stereotypes and things yeah. like that. So, yeah, it was it was a little bit of a hard thing to, to look back on. Right. Kind of, I hadn't considered that, but that's a very interesting point. Yeah. Kind of generational. So with that said, we'll throw it to Guy. So what do you remember, Guy, as a, a parent and a teacher? Like, what was the attitude around the school? I Someone said there was an assembly to talk about it. I don't even remember that. There was. I was at the assembly. Uh, the staff didn't know what to do with this with regards to the students. Interesting. Uh, this had never happened before, obviously. Uh, Donna Michaels, That's she I called remember. the assembly and she stood up in front and she, she went over things with us. Um, everyone was silent, no questions asked. And I remember when the uh, when the assembly was finished, I just sat in the seat that I was in and just thought and thought and thought and wondered. Because, you know, our town had never seen this before. Uh, as you two say that uh, you as students were not considerably affected by this, the town as a whole certainly was. The town was, you might have even said in shock, the rumors were whipping around back and forth. Oh, yes, that had to be because somebody was seen. And oh, no, they weren't really there. And that that's not right. And it was panic city yeah. in Thompson. So it's really in, I'll say our minds, but your mind, because yeah. I wasn't there. But for you and Alvarez, who said the same thing, it, it probably was just like an age difference. Like the adults were trying to deal with this. The kids were left out of it a little bit probably yeah. we, and we, we were kids then we were kids we weren't 15. trying we weren't trying to deal with it it was imposed on us sure yeah yeah you yeah. know it was a it was overwhelming yeah, yeah. i could see that and, and likely then we were i mean in our house probably shielded on purpose or not it, it kind of just didn't get down to us and sort of what you said yeah. I, I we were kids and part of me i think was just not having a world this just sort of happened and you think i guess maybe this happens all the time Sorry, but you know, yeah, pe when you're, <laughs> people die and get killed, and it, it ha yeah. now it happened in our town, and this sure. sucks. But when you're well, 15 in a small town, having grown up in a small town, your worldview is pretty short. Yeah. In 1986, okay. now with the internet and yeah. globalism and whatnot, it's probably very different. But in 1986, our worldview was very small. Yeah. Right. So yeah, probably thought, oh, okay, I guess this shit happens. <laughs> yeah. You know, fortunately, it doesn't happen very often. And I don't think, it, I mean, well, no, there was a recent uh, crime that you mentioned in the yeah. last podcast. Nicholas Brophy. Yeah, yeah Nicholas Brophy. But in general, it doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen to Thompson very often. 30 years possibly between yeah. those two, hopefully. I hopefully. mean, if there's anything else that happened between those two that was this tragic, I hope I'm not, uh, you know, leaving that out. 
just before we actually get talking about the pod though, guys. So obviously it was a big deal in your house because Chris phoned you and you said yeah. that doesn't happen. So do you remember how, how did you deal with it? Just, I mean, that puts you on the spot a bit, but did you guys talk about it a lot at home or was it just unavoidable? Of course it was unavoidable, but I don't know that we talked about it a lot. We didn't shield Chris from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how could you? And uh, it was part of the day's life, unfortunately, at that time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, it was a, it was it was a crazy I, thing. But at the at the same, like I talked to my sister, who's a year, basically the same age as Carrie, maybe a year younger, and she said too, like there wasn't a word on the street among her friends that now you can never go out after dark and you can't move around. Nothing changed. No, no, I, nothing I, changed in our world, but from listening to the podcast, it's kind of what you say, Guy, in that there were a lot of people in Thompson that were way more rattled than we were. Maybe they were all adults. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. That understood. Yeah. Bruce, Trevor was in our grade, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Carrie was one year behind us? I think so. One year younger? Yeah. That feels about right. In, in the pod, they talk about that. I think they're 15 months apart. And yeah. maybe I'm making that yeah. up, but I and, think it's something like that. And Ian would have been a year or two years ahead. I'm really not don't, sure. Grade-wise really and age-wise might have been him, a little yeah. bit different for him. Yeah. Yeah. Let's touch a little bit just on the kind of like the production and the actual podcast because, uh, I mean, it absolutely blew up in mm-hmm. Thompson. That's part of the reason we wanted to do this. If we were in our living room, we'd be talking about it every. <sighs> Everybody yep. in every circle is is kind of talking about this. I'll air my grievances right away. <laughs> I hope David <laughs> yeah. Ridgen listens to this. I really do because, I mean, it affected us so much that it really was an important story to tell. And I think sure. we, we appreciate that fact. I don't like his style. Uh, <laughs> I listened to season one. I swear I'd never listen again. But then when he came up with Carrie Brown, I was like, all right, you got me for another season. I'll call it the schlocky way he introduces the bits. His interviewing, I think, is great. When he interviews people, mm-hmm. I think he does a good job of drawing out the stories. And I like, but but his narration absolutely drives me over the edge. And and I mean, I think it's part of just doing these kind of podcasts. But the, the hooks at the end of each one that sort of oversell what you're going to get in the next one bug me a little bit. I'll chime in on that and then I'll, and then I'll give you my <laughs> other beef with the podcast. Okay, so you toss it to me on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, (laughs) Okay, thanks. Yeah, so here's what I'll say. I came across the podcast, um, I think because, you know, in my, I'm not a big Facebook guy, but amongst my Facebook community, I'm sure I have, you know, a dozen, couple dozen uh, old Thompson connections. And it came up on my my Facebook feed that this was going on and it caught my attention. And I listened to the first episode, and, and as I said, I was immediately drawn in with this description of Thompson 90, 1986. And so I started listening. I very quickly got sucked into it and was uh, riveted. And that's when, Bruce, you and I started talking about yeah. it, and I listened to the entire thing. Here's what I would say at the end. And this part, I don't blame the podcaster for but it's my largest disappointment. Um, and, I, and I suppose it's probably a disappointment to everyone involved in the story. We got to the end of this and I don't feel like the ball was moved forward an inch in the investigation. I don't feel like anything new was turned up, anything meaningful happened. I don't feel like the investigation and all of the resources and time and effort, all of Trevor's effort and participation, all of the angst and pain that he went through trying to facilitate this him and his family you know his father who was on the pod quite a bit the the rcmp officers who were involved like hashing all of that up 
I don't feel like it moved forward at all. And that's incredibly disappointing to get to the end. Now, I don't blame that on the podcaster because obviously you don't know that at the front end of a project, right? You pick a good story. You say, I'm going to pour as much gas on this flame as I can and see if I can make a bonfire. And it just didn't happen. But having said that, there are a couple of things that I, I, I would blame on him after the fact. I'm not as, I'm not as down on his style in this series as you are, Bruce, but you're the production guy. You're the podcast guy. So I, you know, I expect you to have a more artistic critique of his style. I, I, I think it's just a him and me thing. I think it's production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's probably like yeah. te- technically sound. I think yeah. he's probably gone to school. He really knows what he's doing. I just, sure. in the end, I just yeah. don't like your style. Sorry. I, <laughs> don't, I, guess, don't I guess like the way you dress. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. I guess what I feel having gotten to the end is, and I'm, I'm making a lot of assumptions here because I don't do investigative journalism. I don't create podcasts. I'm a guest on Bruce Krantz's podcast. You know, when, when, <laughs> We're when a we team, this. man. We're a team, sure. But this is your ship and I'm happy to be on it. But I feel like yeah, all of this time and effort was spent investigating this story, get to the end. Oh, shit, we don't really have anything to put out. So now we got to go back and turn this into an interesting story to listen to and how do you make it interesting? Well, you throw in all the sorts of tags and teasers that you were saying that you object to. You know, you, you play up some aspects because you think they're going to provide more entertainment. And you need more entertainment because you don't have a big conclusion at the end that's going to really grab the listener. And I think maybe some of that happened along the way as well because some of the paths that he went down I don't think were, were necessarily appropriate. Well, maybe that's not the right word. I don't know that they were necessary. For instance, I'm just going to throw I'm just going to throw this one out there. I hope this doesn't offend anyone listening. I thought the episode where he went and interviewed Ian was uh, I thought it was offside. Yeah. I won't I won't try to use a more specific adjective. I thought it was offside. I remember Ian Brown growing up. You know, here's a guy who is now 50 some years old, has a history of of either a combination of undiagnosed and untreated, quite possibly now untreated mental illness of some diagnosis. Do you need to track that guy down, try to pin him down, almost ambush him into an interview? Nothing he's going to tell you in that interview is going to be, from an investigative standpoint, valuable. It's not going to be something that's ever going to hold up in court or anything like that. It, It was obviously traumatic for him. Probably traumatic for Trevor. I think unnecessarily so. I take a little. I take a little issue with his style in doing that. That was a big. That was a big one for me. And and really, yeah. I thought them going to visit him wasn't wrong. And I think exactly what you said. It sucked because they probably spent a bunch of time and money on it, and then felt like they had to get some. Got to make time, something out of it. Had yeah. to make something of it. Where to me, that should have been a. We went and saw Ian. There was nothing there. And same thing. I'm an investigative journalist. I I yeah. can tell you that. Yeah, he didn't have anything to yeah. share with the story, and then I would have been happy with that. You followed up that lead, yeah. But I, I didn't need you, you know, didn't off. need you to play it up on the episode prior, saying, "Holy shit, I think we got it. We got an older brother here who may have some past um, issues that play into character that you know would, would take you down this path, and then come up with that episode." I think was a little bit offside. Yeah, would, yeah. It, it wasn't great. Guy on the just on the the pod and the production, 
I mean, you listen to the whole thing. I don't know. I, I hope you listen to our podcast. <laughs> I don't know how many. <laughs> he others. does from time to time. <laughs> okay. So I don't know how many others you listen to. When I tune listen. one up for him. <laughs> <laughs> but you listen to this one wire to wire. So what did you think of the, just it as a, as a show or as entertainment? Uh, only as entertainment? Yeah. Well, or as. Start a, with that. As a documentary kind of, yeah. I would disagree with Leslie when Leslie said that uh, Ian Brown should not have been interviewed. I think for me, the the significant part of that whole episode was the fact that Trevor and David were bonding in the car on the way down. It was mm-hmm. a human interest issue, obviously. They were tighter and tighter together, which might have confused the whole process. And then, and then Trevor had not seen Ian for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And I saw, I saw, uh, or I heard and listened to, anyways, the two brothers interacting with each other. So was it harsh? Yeah, it was harsh. Yeah. But I, 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 if I had been David, I would have left it there. Wow, I, I like, I like that perspective. There you go. There, yeah. <laughs> there, there's the other, the other. A little side interfamily of that. disagreement I, is always good yeah. at Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my other question, or and I'd be interested to see what you think of this because Marnie and I heavily disagree on this. But it seemed like Ridgen went out of his way to point out that. Trevor Brown was drinking in a lot of the episodes, that he went to go get a beer, that he was going to smoke a joint before they went and saw... When they went to Nelson's. Patrick. No, when they went and saw Patrick Sumner, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it almost, to me, seemed a little gratuitous that, that they were making Trevor Brown look like whatever, that he was drinking all the time, smoking all the time, which maybe he was. And, and Marnie thinks that's good because you just said, I saw, and then you corrected yourself and said, I heard. David Ridgen would love to hear that, that, sure, that yeah. it painted that mental picture that you actually thought yeah. you saw a documentary. And she says, that's the color we need. I thought that it was over the top that they kind of sewered him a little bit, um, pointing that out too often. So what did you think of that? Did you notice it all? Uh, the, the fact that uh, David was always talking about Trevor drinking, mm-hmm. yes, I noticed that. But is that not um, typical of a family that's just been driven down into the ground? I mean, how long does a wound like that last? Yeah. Oh, forever, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I, yes, I noticed it. Was I upset by that? No. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a hard line for David Ridgen to do to color that story to show because yep. he obviously by doing it has showed us all that yeah that's a troubled family right like they've had a an awful ride yep. um, and it's clearly not over yet. Maybe yep. I'm soft and I would have liked him to to <laughs> sort of wash over that a little bit and just not. Keep pointing yeah, well, out, right? I, I guess, yeah. I mean, the 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 end of all that is, you know, I haven't seen Trevor Brown in 30 plus years. I feel terrible for Trevor Brown having listened to this podcast. And, you know, that's probably part of the objective, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe Marnie's right. Maybe that did paint the proper picture of the, of the pain that that family has had to endure for 32 years now as a result of this incident. And that was part of the intent of the podcast. So... That might be okay. Yeah, I, I don't want to say okay because it's not for me to judge, but that might have been an appropriate part of painting the picture of this situation. Yeah, it, yeah. And it's funny. Maybe maybe that'll be something that I mean, you guys will listen to the next season, and I won't because because I, <laughs> I don't like that. Because you're so pissed about it. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not so pissed about that. Yeah. But he's gonna well. Be- I've never listened to any other season yeah. of uh, of that uh, documentary series. Yeah. So it was my my only foray into those waters the other thing i found and again i'm not going to blame this on the on the on the podcaster it's one of my i think it's more like what i'm disappointed in um from more of a societal standpoint at the end of listening to this i don't know that there's any value in looking back on a 30 year old crime investigation 
and wanting to find some sort of conspiracy on the side of the investigators. I don't know that there's value. I understand it's more entertaining. If we look back, we say, okay, here's these RCMP officers who, you know, were tasked with investigating this crime 30 years ago, and they didn't solve it. Okay, they didn't do it. That's kind of boring, right? They have a challenge. They didn't solve the challenge. That's kind of a boring story. If we allude to, well, maybe they didn't solve it because there was a reason not to solve it. Well, fuck, that's a lot more interesting for the listener. And I get that, but I don't think that there's value in that. I don't think there's value to society in that. In listening to all those points and pieces, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy at heart. Not that I, you know, outright object to it, but I'm not a conspiracy theory guy at heart. In listening to all the different points and pieces of information, I don't know that there's any reason to believe that those investigating officers didn't do the best that they could in 1986. We didn't have any of the science then that we have now. There was no DNA. There wasn't even, I mean, now, shit, if you listen to the science on on hair uh, as an investigative yeah, crazy. tool, I mean, it's it's almost considered valueless now to, to find hair and look at it, you know? So... All of the things where the fingers pointed to them as they did a shitty job, they did a shitty job. I would like to think they probably did the best that they could at the time. They had no reason to not try to solve this crime, and they didn't solve it. You know, sorry about everyone's luck, but why does that mean that we should think they intentionally didn't solve it? Leslie, you started off by saying that nothing had moved forward because of this program. I mm-hmm. would quite intensely disagree with that. There are hundreds of people, at least hundreds of people, what happened? Board came loose? Yeah, no, we're good. Okay, listen to this right across Canada. Uh, And I know I'm talking about the case itself rather than just the podcast. No, no, that's good. But there would be all kinds of new information that came out. People will remember bits and pieces. Well, yeah, that's quite possible. I didn't know a lot of the stuff that was presented during during these these, uh, Mm -hmm. radio interviews. I had a chance to listen to the actual players. Mm -hmm. Some of them had never spoken uh, to anyone about these Mm -hmm. issues prior to. So, yeah, it's a whole new ballgame, I think. Yeah, possibly. You're right. So it's possible. Or it has the potential to. Exactly. It's possible that because of this, more evidence will get uncovered. People will be phoning the RCMP. Um, you know, the, the investigation will continue and maybe we will move towards a conclusion. Yeah. That's entirely possible. What I'm talking about is that at the point at which the podcast ended, there was no, there was no movement. And so then the story, like when we talk about assessing the podcast as a story and a piece of entertainment, it starts and it stops. And, you know, it it stops at a point that didn't give us any justice, which is what we're all hoping for, right? You walk a fine line in this genre with that, right? Because there's there's a little bit of, because there's a whole bunch of podcasts that are similar to this. This, David Ridgen, I think, started this whole series because of Serial, which is the biggest Mm. podcasting podcast. If you haven't listened to Serial, listen to it. The season, season one is... For, for podcast listeners, Serial is like legend. It's the holy grail. Yeah, it's, 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 the, old it's, school. it's really the best there is. Yeah. And, and he clearly models this after that. Mm. They walk kind of a fine line between saying that, I want to raise awareness for this case, but also presenting a little bit of an arrogance that I'm better than the RCMP were, right? Or I'm better than the yeah. cops. And I can, I can put in the time and effort that they... Couldn't or didn't want to. Didn't want to. Right? Like yeah. they, well, yeah. they didn't bother to follow up with Sean Simmons because he yeah. lives in Saskatchewan or whatever. 
meanwhile, like we know some of the RCMP and Thompson, I'm sure, Guy, you came across these. Like there have been people working on this file for 30 years. So yeah. regardless of how hard David Ridgen worked on this, you got to think that those are hard work. They're my friends. I know they work hard and I know they really wanted to solve exactly. this, right? And so yeah. it's a, I absolutely agree. If this scares somebody out of the bushes and we and we solve it, yep. dynamite, absolutely. But there's a yep. little part of this that comes across as I'm better than the RCMP or they were lazy or they were tired or whatever. Yeah. And that... That bugs me a little bit about just these this whole genre. Yeah, I, I think that's very true as well. And after one of the uh, listening to one of the episodes, I actually followed followed his instructions and went on either Twitter or Facebook and like waded into the community of listeners. And the reason I did was because I was thinking there's probably going to be a bunch of people from Thompson, uh, more people talking about this and whatnot. Yeah. There was not. What I waded through was like. Thousands of people from literally all around the world just wading in with all of their conspiracy theories. You can you can quite easily, you know, put them in categories. There are those people who always think, you know, the cops were out to do it, get it. Everybody has their own angle. But there are people who clearly are listening to stories like this, thinking of themselves as amateur crime fighters and investigators and trying to just solve a puzzle like they're doing a crossword puzzle. And that's where it kind of gets into this weird area of, it being entertainment versus we're really trying to solve a crime that actually happened to real people and affected real people. And there's like that crossroads, which is difficult to, to sort of navigate because all of the comments on that page were from people mostly outside of, of Canada. Yeah. And they were all just random. They all 100% believed in their idea and they were yelling at each other and arguing. <laughs> just like if you go on a you know a political comments page and you have Democrats and Republicans <laughs> screaming hate at each other, there were people screaming at each other back and forth over he did it, she did it, this and yeah, that. Just like a podcast. Oh, just like a podcast, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is adding no value to my listening experience, and this is adding <laughs> no value to moving the ball forward on uh, on trying to trying to actually solve this crime. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe I was a little naive in thinking that there would actually be people and they're trying to yeah that, to solve the crime. That somehow but, this podcast was different than because it, it isn't yeah. the only true crime. True crime is huge, right? Of now. course, right? And, I mean, so how, I also how did, watched the you know like making a murderer, making a murderer yeah, and yeah. was riveted by that. And if I ever went on a on a comments page on that, I would expect to see this. I think sort of in some way because this actually affected us. Like none of those other shows that we see, true crime shows that we see, um, has affected us. Kind of thought, you know, just, subconsciously just I thought it would be different or hoped it would be different. <laughs> it wasn't any different. It was, no, it's like making a murderer's uh, Facebook comments. You know, yeah. it's like they're just everyone Ch watching and arguing. Ch change the names. Okay, guy, we got to actually get into the to the case a little bit. Okay. What do you think? I mean, you lived it as an adult where Les and I, my friends didn't talk about this. Like I didn't hear, I mean, Patrick Sumner's name got, got booted around. But beyond that, there wasn't a lot of theories and things going on with my friends, you know, other than we heard that there was a horrible crime. You probably heard more than that. Do you have kind of any theories or any thoughts on what actually happened? No, I don't. I Not really it. don't. Uh, at the end of each session, I was reasonably convinced that, hey, this is the route that should be taken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever was, and was by, proposed by the time in that we got episode to the next right. session, I wasn't so sure. Yeah. yeah. I knew most of the people fairly well. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. I also had a student, uh, he was in my class at the time, that for a short period of time, everybody knew. And everybody was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah, Dad, you knew the... Um 
the auto body guy. So Rolly Decker, right? Rolly Decker. I mean, you Decker? dealt in cars. And, Dad was, uh, yeah. Never, automobiles. He must have been yeah. a friend of yours. Yeah, he was. I, I taught Roland. Roland is as straight as can be, straight as an arrow. Really? Yeah, yeah very bright, honest, decent. Yeah. If you wanted a defender straightened, he'd, he'd do it for you and <laughs> charge you an honest price. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. You know, you, you talk about how authentic... Uh, a program like this is in terms of its interviewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wondered a couple of times when Roland said, yeah, that was a really good car. That was a 454 four block or something, <laughs> and then went on about it a little bit. Yeah. I kind of thought that Rigdon might be, might have been helping him a little bit to <laughs> say once Prepping again him for that, that, he, a little bit. <laughs> that he really knew about cars. Yeah. And my apologies, Roland, if that wasn't the case. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I thought that a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, it, it must have been interesting to you to hear them too, because you would have touched on Simmons, I'm sure. Patrick yes. Sumner, like like yeah. everybody they talked to in this podcast would yeah. have been one of your students on yeah. or off. I don't think I taught any of the Browns. No? I, I know Trevor to see him and I've spoken to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew Ian to see him. Um, I knew Mrs. Brown. I had met Mr. Brown through the years. Yeah. To me, the thing that, I mean, the, the few little bits of, with the case to me, I, I don't buy the it was somebody from out of town angle at all, only because from knowing Thompson. So Trout Avenue, she was on Trout. She was supposed to be going to Sandpiper or something like that. Trout is off the beaten path. If you're cruising through town looking for somebody, maybe Westwood Drive, maybe Thompson Drive, you're not going down Trout. That, that to me was just too... Mm-hmm. It's kind of too far out of the way. It's a weird part of the Westwood area, right? So um, to me, it had to be somebody that she knew. Now, how well did you know that person? Whatever, right? Like somebody yeah. to say, okay, I'll give you a ride across the street. But I really don't believe that they sort of had the angle of the people that were at the campground and they were from Saskatchewan or something like that. To me, that part of the story didn't add up. And then the stuff that, that Bob Urbanowski said, the cop, where he said, you you take people to where you know and... If you had planned this, you wouldn't have had a stick and stuff. I thought he was brilliant. I thought he was one of the best mm-hmm. pieces of the podcast. They were yeah. good interviews, and he was a, a pretty sh- sharp guy. So to yeah. me, it had to be somebody that she knew at least. And somebody who knew passing. the local terrain. Mm-hmm. Somebody who knew the roads. Somebody who knew the back roads. Somebody who knew a very dark and deserted private place. Everybody knew the stable road, you know, with a skidoo or a bicycle. Yeah, but an out of car wouldn't have. Only like a legitimate local residents would have known. I thought it was really significant when Trevor was talking about how tough his sister was mm-hmm. and the fact that during yeah. this process she would have left some bruises on the perpetrator. Yeah. And uh, that was never mentioned by the RCMP. Yeah. I wonder if the RCMP had ever been told that. I, Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. Well, in the business with going across the bridge too, right? How they said mm-hmm. she was so scared of going across the bridge and yeah. wouldn't have done it. So it had to be either... Someone you knew or else they went over, over the bridge after yeah. awful things had happened. Yeah. Um, I'll ask you this. and I'll ask both of you this because yeah. they talk in the podcast a little bit about um, the stables as a place to go partying and, and drinking and having fires and stuff. That was an absolute that was a surprise to me. Like, I don't remember anybody ever talking about doing that. Uh, yeah, that's a zero to me. I remember McCready. Campground, campground as yeah. being that place. Yeah. Like if you were going to do that, you would have done it at McCready, at McCready Campground. I don't like honestly. I've never been to those stables. Oh yeah. Um, I I basically hadn't as a kid either. Yeah, yeah. We never would have gone out there. But I did think it was like the, when Sean Simmons was talking about playing, uh, like just driving around oh, and yeah, playing yeah. football, throwing Nerf cars at footballs and whatnot. I was like, 
shit, that's growing up in a small town, man. Like, uh, <laughs> that might have sounded very odd to some <laughs> listeners. Like, what the hell? Who throws footballs at cars? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of what you do. <laughs> yeah, I know that. I mean, that part of it didn't. That all You know, all of that made sense. You cruised around. And when we were that age, you know, just getting driver's licenses, just getting cars. And yeah. you just kind of rode around and... Like you were saying, you know, you smoked cigarettes and, you know, you stole beers where you could get them and you did those things. Completely conceivable that somebody who she knew could have rolled by in a car. And it could have been somebody she knew in a car with other people that she didn't know. It only takes it only takes one familiar face to say, yeah, I'll take a ride when it's cold out. For sure. Right. And, and yeah. you're not you're not going far and, and you're not going far. And who knows who else was in the car and who knows what what happened. But yeah. beyond that. Me at the at the end of listening to it, I I have no theory that is. I really like my guts telling me this is what happened. Like I don't, I didn't get there. I didn't get there at the I, end of the podcast. I, did, I didn't get there either. I had no. Yeah. I mean, I haven't heard any rumors. Right, I could I couldn't guess at anything. The one interesting one that I've heard around town a lot um, was just the whole Robert Delarond angle. So there's lots of people that say that he was somehow involved, right? And and. A, I feel like for us from Thompson, that's an easy one because he was a char- yeah. character to say the least, right? Easy like guy a, to point fingers at. E- easy yeah. guy to point fingers at. He'd, he'd had some like dust-ups, to put it very lightly. Yeah. But I've heard lots of different and people And he's also talk gone, right? Like Robert Delaron mm-hmm. passed away like maybe not long after that, right? Like Robert Delaron's been yeah. uh, passed away since... You're right, like when you say not long after, five or six years, but not... Uh, or was it even was less it, than I don't that? even think it was that long. I don't know, but he was our neighbor. Yeah, he lived I, on our I street. Liked, right. He was he lived he on was our a, street. I liked Robert Delaron. I remember you telling me stories about Robert was a bit of a mixed up. I mean, he was young, and he was a mixed up kid, right? He never made it to full adulthood, even though he seemed like an adult because he was so much bigger and tougher than we were when we were kids. Yeah, he was a he was a tough a tough guy. I, and like I said, I I don't for a second have any reason to think that he was involved but i mean he was good friends with kirk fedgy he was he was kind of like you oh, said yeah. he was he was your neighbor he was good yeah. friends with kirk so he was kind of in our group he wasn't in our group but i mean yeah. he was around right and yeah. uh and you're right like an interesting guy we have certainly no proof to, to believe he was so. at all associated as a wrap as i listened to this podcast i learned more in the last three three months than i had in my life leading up to that around yeah. this case nobody talked about this stuff at all so this was kind of new and interesting to me all the only thing i'll say is from the facts that i can see from this i think it was somebody that she knew or at least there was one person that was involved mm-hmm. that knew her because mm-hmm. it just and, doesn't there, and that there were probably multiple people involved i, yeah, yeah, I think for it, sure. it sounds quite likely from the crime scene evidence and the fact that we know she was a really scrappy girl i remember her being scrappy mm-hmm. Um, that there were probably, there's probably multiple people involved. Yeah. Was it ever stated during the podcast that this 10-year period after which the RCMP eliminate files, has that policy changed? Was it ever said that it had? Oh, yeah. Because what, that's... What he's referring to is the fact that... That's hugely significant. Yeah. yeah, it is. What he's referring to is, we were talking about this the other day, the fact that one of the huge disappointments is the fact that the transcript from the original trial for Patrick Sumner it was destroyed. Yeah. And not destroyed for any reason, any conspiratorial um, reason, other than just no one requested a document from a court transcript for X period of time and as per procedures it was destroyed and that was unfortunate. Maybe only unfortunate to the podcast listener <laughs> because the investigators would have had it 
and would have known everything in it. So they probably, well, yeah, I know everything that's in that. Yeah. It certainly affected our, our, our listening. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's changed or not. I don't either. I mean, it was the, the interview part with Patrick Sumner was super interesting, right? Like that was probably yep. the high watermark of the, the show. And, and I mean, they built up to that a little bit with sure. the Rolly talking about how much he cleaned his car. Yeah. And, and God damn, he washed that car. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't make any sense why he was washing that car so much that day. Yeah. All day long. And, all day and long he, washing that car. And he seemed like he mixed up some of his dates, right? I had an exam, but there was no school. And, yeah. And oh, well, I can't remember if it, I can't remember what day it was. Well, obviously, this was a pretty big day in your life. But then I... If, if he was faking us out during that interview, he is a pro because the interview was engaging yeah. to listen to. But well, you, this you is the other thing. This it. is the other thing too, Bruce, right? But if I asked you any question, would the answer required you to remember facts, detailed facts from 1986, you wouldn't be able to answer them, man. Zero. Nor would I. Not like... The only thing I can remember from 86 is I went to Expo 86 in Vancouver and I couldn't even tell you yeah. the dates of that. There you go. Yeah, there <laughs> right? you go. And it's only because it was called Expo 86 yeah. that I remember. So now when I ask you, you know, in uh, uh, so this happened in October of 86, like sometime around Thanksgiving. OK, so 1986 was the start of the 11th grade for you. Mm-hmm. Right. You're yep. going to Artie Parker High School. Uh, where was your locker? Did okay. you have a locker partner? Or did you have your own locker? I had my own locker for sure because it, w- it would have been a half locker still in grade eleven, and I would have okay, okay. and I would have had a locker in the grade twelve hallway only because I always kind of s- sniveled one of those from somebody or found an empty one because mm-hmm. I played so much sports and it was handy to me to have something there. So <laughs> I remember that. But where my real locker was, or even where the one that I was using in grade eleven? Do you, yeah. Do you remember whose locker was beside you? No, not a. Do chance. you remember what classes you were taking? I hope it was Guy Hansen's. I mean, shit, these are basic, (laughs) basic questions, right? Those are easy ones. And if you asked me those same questions, I couldn't answer anything. I was going to Grant Park High School in Winnipeg. I believe I had a locker partner. I think I had a locker partner every year I was there, but I honestly don't even remember. I don't even remember if I had a partner or I had my own locker in 1986. And yet we expect, you know, to be able to call up an RCMP officer. (laughs) Now he has some notes. Maybe he still had access to his notes or not. And it was a big deal, right? Yeah, and it was a big deal. But or 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 you call up Sean Simmons and mm-hmm. ask him to remember shit. I mean, yeah, it was a big deal in their lives. But you know what? Your locker partner was a big deal in your life too, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's. I mean, it's 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 an incredibly high bar of expectation to expect people to have clear memories of something thirty years ago. Were you working at the bus station or not? Did you get off early that night or not? If somebody says that you were out, you went to this bar, did you not go to that bar? I mean, come on. I can barely remember that from last weekend. <laughs> so while you're talking about memory, I think I've said something that was incorrect. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, you get I, a pass on that. Yeah. yeah you get I'm not sure that I taught pass. Patrick Sumner. I certainly taught members of the family, and I knew Patrick. So maybe he wasn't in my class. Well, <laughs> and, I, and I feel like... Uh, that might blur for you because you probably spent more time at the Thompson nuisance grounds. And oh, I did. Yeah. The dump. A lot of people. And the they, lived, they lived there. Like that's yeah. where Patrick yes. lived, right? Yes. Yeah. So and you, you never had anything bad to say about that family at all? No, absolutely not. Yeah. Papa was really interesting. Mama worked hard all the time. I yeah. knew the brother and sister. Yeah. So the stories no. about, you know, the, the, them following people around and stalking people and driving around. That, you told me that's a little bit hard for you to imagine. Yeah, Who knows? Or, either happened or it didn't, and we're not passing judgment. But. Yeah, but just from your experience, and again, that's yeah. a 
you would know that as well as any. Like I said, you yeah. you knew them, right? I didn't really know them, right. but you knew the family. Sure. Yeah. And it was out of it would have been out of character. Sure. Yeah. To do something like that. Dad was very bright. Uh, he was building an airplane out of out of foam, like some people did. And I can remember him telling me what kind of a Ford engine he was going to put in because it was just the right weight and yeah. just the right size. And he had all kinds of information about world affairs and, you know. Yeah. It was yeah. good going out there and talking. All right. Huh? We don't know the answer. Any last we don't know thoughts? the answer. I, I don't know the answer. Guy, you know the answer? No. But you enjoyed the podcast. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I phoned most of the people that I knew, primarily teachers. I phoned Jerry Sapinski. I phoned Vic Lowen. I phoned Mike Lucas. Uh, and I can't remember how many others. This is coming up. I heard about it on CBC Radio. Oh. And as far as I know, they were all just glued on. And you phoned them to tell them to listen. Oh, absolutely. This was significant to Thompson yeah. and significant to all of us who were there. Dad, have you to ever listened to a podcast before? Yes, but nothing as fascinating as this. Okay. Yeah, well, that doesn't bode well for our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 nothing is nothing is fascinating as the uh, Carrie Brown That's the Carrie story. Brown story. <laughs> All right, we got to work on that. <laughs> we're going to get producer Mike on that. Yeah, Jesus, producer. <laughs> get us some better content do, do some to talk work. about. We, we hope that you'll phone Vic Lowen and Jerry Sapinski about the Snow Day podcast. Yeah. That's it, guys. Unreal. What a conversation. Guy Hansen, Les Hansen in phase dining room. Snow Day Pod Extra. Just before we wrap it up, we've got an email now. Snowdaypod at gmail.com. I know. Welcome to 1984. Record a voice memo on your phone and send it to us. We would love to put your voice on the show with comments on what you just heard, questions for the guys, some feedback on any one of the episodes. We'll take typewritten emails too. We got no problem with old school. If social media is more your style, we're at SnowdayPod, Snowday Podcast on Facebook. One more time, the new old way to get a hold of us, SnowdayPod at gmail.com. Somewhere between.